Good evening and thank you for joining our podcast. This is episode 8, part 2 of our Back to the Start series where we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Amos. And this is a four-week study in which we're going to be walking through how our spiritual walk with God affects our pursuit of righteous justice. We'll be looking at questions like, how can we return to the basics of Christian devotion? How can we get back to our roots of our faith? So let us tonight chart a path that takes us from the heart of God's love and move it to others in our community. So the first thing I'd like to talk about tonight is about chocolate. Maybe you're like me and you absolutely love chocolate. It's true that most of us do love chocolate. Annual chocolate sales in the U.S. are about $16 billion a year. Although the sales of fair trade chocolate are increasing, most of the chocolate sold in most grocery stores or places that we buy it are anything but fair trade. Hershey's is the top chocolate company in the United States, and Hershey is the company that doesn't even sell one fair trade certified chocolate bar. You might be wondering what's the big deal about fair trade chocolate. Well, first of all, chocolate that is not fair trade certified is likely to contain child labor. Most of it is slave labor. A Tulane University report on child labor in the cocoa sector of the Ivory Coast in Ghana found that 25 to 50 percent of the children and households in both countries work on cocoa farms. The Ivory Coast, Ghana, and other West African countries produce 75 percent of the world's total cocoa, and the Ivory Coast produces 40 percent of that total. The U.S. Department of State estimated that there were over 109,000 children working in Ivory Coast cocoa industry, and about 10% of the victims were caught in human trafficking or enslavement. And when we see that or hear things like that, our question often is, how can we help? How can we do something? Well, with this one, we can become more aware of where we purchase our items We can pay a fair wage and buy fair trade. But more so, we can tell our friends and our neighbors about this as many of them might not know. And that really leads us to Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, which is another hot passage for social justice. And this is what it says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman and corrupt my holy name. At their religious festivals they lounge in clothing. Their debtors put up as security. And in the house of their gods they drink wine bought with unjust fines. But as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites. Though they were tall as cedars and as strong as oaks, I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you from Egypt and led you through the desert for forty years, so that you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? asked the Lord. Verse 12. But you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine, and you commanded the prophets to be quiet. 
So I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak, and even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape, and even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and will run for their lives, declares the Lord. And really, this passage that we're investigating really has two overarching themes, and the first one is generosity. The second, of course, is God's justice. I believe one of the things that Amos is trying to tell us is that God has gifted us all with something, and we should freely share it with those around us. But perhaps the biggest lesson in this is for Amos, a proper relationship with God demands social justice. So what about today in our context? Are such issues like feeding the poor or providing shelter for the homeless, working for civil rights or fighting for abortion part of the gospel message and story? Should Christians even care about social justice or things that I just mentioned? The gospel message really centers on social justice in many ways, especially in New Testament books like the Gospel of Luke, where it specifically focuses on how Jesus serves the blind, the lame, the outcast, or the tax collector. As the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus, we learn to share in God's concerns. And this, in turn, leads us down a road of social justice. So, yes, we should care about social justice because it is God's plan. So let's break down Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Summed up very simply, the scripture is to say that Israel is no better than the nations surrounding them. That Amos begins by speaking against eight nations God has singled out for judgment. And that each of the eight contains speeches of announcements of one, God's judgment. Two, the reason for judgment. And three, the nature of judgment. Amos was indicating that God would be gracious to these nations no longer, that Amos' prophecy commenced against two kingdoms in the beginning of this story, the first being Damascus, and the second being the Philistine people. Damascus had brutalized the inhabitants of Gilead, while the Philistines had deported captive Israelites to Edom and sold them as slaves. Tyre also mentioned in the prophecy had sold Israelites to Edom, and note that these places that we're talking about are incredibly close together. After speaking judgment against Damascus, the Philistines, and Tyre, Amos again sets his sights on a few other people, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, three of Israel's blood relatives. First, Edom, the closest blood relative made war against Israel and showed no compassion. Moab had desecrated the bones of Edom's king, and Ammon had killed the unborn babies of Gilead by cutting them from their mother's womb. So you take these three people and you have massive social justice issues, and a lot of it was being done to Israel. Things like murder and slavery. So the question is, what happens next in our story? Amos then turns to Judah. 
And you might be asking yourself, why does he do this? Because those are his people, right? He was from the southern kingdom called to go to the north and proclaim these prophecies. But in contrast to all the other crimes that are mentioned, Judah's crime was spiritual. Judah had forsaken the Old Testament law and followed false gods. Each generation that ensued plunged deeper into sin. And when Amos went to the northern kingdom, many Israelites looked at him with suspicion, thinking, Why has the prophet come here? Perhaps it was because all the things that had happened to Israel. But as Amos proclaimed the message, they liked it. Amos was condemning all of their enemies, the people who had done stuff to them. Yes, vengeance is ours, they might have said. And just kind of think of it like this. If you remember growing up, uh, especially in my case, I was the oldest of four siblings. And usually most ideas were my ideas that I would pass down to my younger brother and two sisters and often coax them into doing things. And finally, when we were caught, we were all lined up on the wall and had to give an accounting of what we had done. And often, especially with siblings, you know, there's a few that quickly fess up and they're like, we know we did it, we're really sorry. And then you have others that are maybe a little bit more secretive or ones that are just as filled and they're like, yes, they're getting what they deserved and hopefully I don't get caught. But the interesting thing in this prophecy of Amos is it really in a lot of ways is like that, that you have all these groups that are descendants of the same father, Abraham, and they're all wanting justice on each other. And you can imagine in the story, Judah and Israel are like, yes, the Moabites are getting what they want. Remember what they did to us? Remember those other groups? Remember what they did to us in our past? They're finally getting God's wrath. And then God looks at them and says, you guys are guilty too. And I imagine that this was hard for them to take, especially coming from Amos, especially if you're Israelite and you have a Judean coming north into your country. And that's why Amos' message is so important, that often, as Christians, we really look around at our world and thinking, oh, yes, justice is finally coming. And we need to be very careful to look back also at our story to see that we're God-honoring and following in the footsteps of our king. Because Amos' message in this story takes a drastic turn. God now has judged everyone else. And finally, he's coming to Israel. Because as they cheered Amos on that vengeance was coming upon their enemies, they oppressed the weak. They cared for personal gain. Sexual sins abounded in their culture. And their people worshipped false gods. And interestingly enough, God had redeemed Israel from slavery, remember back in the book of Exodus, out of Egypt. But yet, Israel was enslaving other people. Israel silenced God's prophets and mocked the Nazarites who had dedicated themselves to God's service. Israel had burdened themselves with sins, and now Israel would receive its punishment. But here's the interesting note in the book of Amos. But despite judgment... God still wanted to redeem his people, and that is central in this book. I don't want us to miss that. It is important to note that during the time of spiritual decline in Israel, God chose Elijah, an obscure man from the mountains of Gilead, 
and used him to turn the nation from its idolatry. In this story, 150 years later, King Jeroboam II was on the throne, and great prosperity was really being shown in the land of Israel, but also great wickedness prevailed. So God put his hand upon another man of the outdoors, that man being a fig farmer named Amos, that he was a sheep breeder of Tekoa, and located in a village about ten miles south of Bethlehem. Although he lived in the southern kingdom, he prophesied in Israel. And this is what he said of himself, and we saw this in our uh, first episode uh, as we kicked off this Back to the Start series, and this is what he says. He says, I am no prophet, neither am I a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people in Israel. That's Amos chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And here's the part I really want us to catch this evening. This is really the pinnacle of the message. I really think in studying this that the greatest reason for the prophet's condemnation of Israel was that the people were what I would call at ease. Yes, they were sinful and indifferent to the Lord, but there was many things going on around them, and they remained silent and did nothing. There was many unrighteous things going on they could have called out, and God called them to be a light to the nations, and they just they didn't do that. Because Amos chapter 6 verse 1 really gives away why they did not. It said they were dependent upon the natural things. In effect, really, this is what this is saying. The people of Israel said this in their own words. Look at our fortifications, our bases. Look at all the things that we have conquered. We too can be like this sometimes. We can say things like, look at my building. Look at my budget. Uh, Look at my large staff. Look at my prestige. Look at my degrees. Look at my technology. And really, God tells us what comes of that. And he's wanting us to say, not by my might or not by my power, but by my spirit, you will have power. Because you see, God's power and his work is not dependent upon The natural resources that we possess are the things that we can control or see. The Apostle Paul declared God selected the common and the cast-off, whatever lacks status, so he could invalidate the claims of those who think that they are significant. So it makes no sense for any person to boast but in God's presence. And I believe that's a really important message for us to hear, especially uh, really as the church, that... It's not our, our buildings or our worship that make us great or powerful or our, or our nonprofits or our mission trips or this or that. It's really the work of the Lord, and we just need to follow him wherever he would go and make sure that we're taking with us the outcasts, the poor, and the marginalized in the process and redeeming them and calling them back into the fold. So our application point really is this, that we must examine our lives for ways in which we are contributing to injustice and instead show mercy, kindness, and justice as God's people and body. So let's look at one more kind of injustice that we actually can change. 
As you know, this month is, is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And human trafficking is our largest form of modern slavery. It's a multi-billion dollar criminal industry that denies freedom to 20.9 million people across the globe. And no matter where you live, chances are that it's happening nearby. From the girl deceived into selling herself at a hotel next to your favorite restaurant, to a man discovered in the very restaurant kitchen stripped of his passport and humanity, we find this story happening everywhere. All trafficking survivors share one essential experience, and that's the loss of freedom. So how can we assist in this fight? Well, one, we can share through awareness. The second, through loving victims. And three, we can respond. We can educate and encourage everyone to become fair trade aware. We can encourage everyone about the dangers of human trafficking. Free YouTube resources can be helpful with this. Uh, we can watch documentaries like The Dark Side of Chocolate found on YouTube. Or we can look at ways to partner with other groups that are already doing huge things in works of human trafficking. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said it like this. Listen to this call. That while women weep as they do now, all fight. While children go hungry as they do now, all fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, all fight. While there is a poor lost girl upon the street, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, all fight, all fight, all fight to the very end. That's an incredible call to social justice today. I hope that this message encourages you and gives you ways to think of things that you could actually tangibly do in your community, uh, maybe in your school, in your college, uh, in your workplace, and even in your family. But as God's church, let us work out our salvation by caring for the poor, the enslaved, the broken, and the marginalized. So I have a few questions for us as we kind of wrap up tonight. What is one thing from this message that stood out to you that maybe you haven't heard before? Second, why does God remind Israel of all that he's done for them in spite of the coming judgment? Our third question is, why is it so easy to forget where our blessings come from? Our fourth question is, how would the people in your life be affected if you freely shared all that God has given you? And lastly, this is really our call to action here, is what injustices do you see that the church is failing at today? And how can we change and be that change that it really needs to make a turning point in our world? Maybe that thing for you is human trafficking. Maybe it's making other people aware of fair trade. Maybe it's fighting against abortion. Maybe it's fighting for foster care in your community. Um, maybe it's being an activist for women's rights. Uh, maybe it's fighting racism wherever you see it. I don't know what that might be for you, but I know the incredible thing and the exciting thing is that God calls us to make an incredible difference in the communities in which we live. So may we be able to do that in our context today and let Amos be our battle cry. I hope this has blessed you this evening. 
and may you have a great night and we'll see you next week. Thank you.